Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Mad Mamluks. I'm Mahin, and today I'm here with my co host, Sheikh Amr Saeed, Sim, and Mort. Yo, yo. And it's been a while since all four of us have been together on a roundtable discussion that we know you guys enjoy so much. So we want to put one out to kind of fill y'all in on some things we've been up to. Uh, some of the frequency of the shows have been a little off, as some of the more astute listeners may have observed. Uh, and if you haven't noticed anything, everything's fine. But uh, we just wanted to kind of give you guys some updates on some things going on and also, uh, you know, maybe touch on a, some issues coming up and, you know, where we see the podcast. So a couple of things. First things first, uh, Sim and I actually ran into each other at Omra. Uh, that wasn't necessarily we figured we would miss each other, but we both knew we were going to go for Omra. So, Sim, that was your uh, how many second Omra? That was my second Umrah in two years. Yeah. And they, they nailed you on that visa fee? Oh No, actually, they reversed that visa fee. And for those who don't know, uh, the Saudi Arabian government had instated a, a visa fee for people who are repeat Umrah offenders. So if you go to Umrah too many times, <laughs> you have to pay for it. You, you it's uh, It was like a hundred, no, it's like a $500 fee. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous, but we, we ended up getting reimbursed because too many people ended up uh, complaining to the Saudi consulate, and it, it ended up carrying over to the government, and uh, they said, no, this is ridiculous, because the the main people who would get hurt by this kind of a fee would be you know, the, the people who are selling merchandise in Mecca. I mean, there, there wouldn't be, that would cut into the budget of how much you're willing to spend at Umrah, right? Right, because you're still going to go, if you're trying to go to Umrah, 500 bucks probably won't set... Change your yeah. mind, right? Yeah, but yeah, you're, I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you know they so. probably they probably wised up a bit and figured, you know, a friend of mine was telling me that the, you know McKinsey and we had Salman, a friend of ours, on the show before talking about McKinsey. They did a stu- the, the KSA had McKinsey do a study for them and asked, outside of oil and gas, what's your top our top uh, money maker? And they said religious tourism, and they're like, oh snaps, we just like tore everything down. Over the last hundred years, so that's why there's. I think I did hear when we were at Umrah in Medina, Hasib Noor says that a lot of the masajid, for example, in Medina historically, they are trying to like preserve or even rebuild some of them. I don't know how they're trying to do that, but yeah, I mean the the Saudis are they're, they're too little, too late. I think in terms of um, where the world is at and where they should have been by now, they spent way too much money on uh you know expensive license plates for their princes and whatnot so i think the time is gone now that now that the oil is pretty much not what it used to be they they've squandered some amazing opportunities where they could have really built up medina and mecca to a modern city basically um it, it's disappointing in the sense that you are we living in the west we kind of envision islam being compatible with a Western modern city, right? And you can't see that, really. I mean, you, you see it, but you see um, broken down infrastructure. You see things not being maintained in these cities and, and streets not looking as nice as Jeddah would, right? Oh, Riyadh. Jeddah. I heard yeah, Riyadh yeah. is pretty nice. Yeah. So uh, it, it is a huge disappointment. I mean, that that's one something that... Um, before before going to Umrah, I went to Pakistan, and in Pakistan, you know, the same thing. People are building new, amazing places. Uh, my uh, in-laws are from Karachi, and uh, I went to the, the nice part of Karachi called Defense, 
and you know they 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 have much nicer homes and stuff. But again, you see them building these uh, new these areas in defense are called phases. So I think it goes all the way up to phase seven. And you see all this new building and construction happening, but you see the early phases, like phase one, phase two, the first initial ones that were being built, and you see how run down they they become. And this is supposed to be the nice part of Karachi. You're like, whoa, what, what, what's going on here? And what, what what's happening is is that everyone has great ambitions, but they don't maintain. And it's a problem rampant throughout the Muslim world, and really depresses you after you, uh, you know, see some of the care that Western countries put in into their infrastructure and the the Muslim world just can't seem to catch up. And you, you don't want to tell them that when you're visiting and you, you I guess everything is about privilege. Now you can't, you can't speak from privilege because apparently if you have uh, somewhat elevated or you were born into a somewhat elevated situation in life, you just can't talk about it anymore because you're a person of privilege. That's what you, that's yeah. what the the left always says, at least. But um, yeah, that th- that was one of the major disappointments that you just you just you're seeing crumbling infrastructure everywhere. You see really bad internet. That's why we couldn't send out podcasts, to you guys, um, through while while I was out on that trip because uh, I was hitting the the limit on uh, uploads and downloads really fast. So people who don't realize, if you haven't been overseas. <clears throat> they don't have like landlines in most places. They have these little mobile, like uh, USB, like mobile 3G routers. Chips. So what you do is you get a SIM card from your provider and you plug a SIM into this mobile router and just plug it into a wall, yeah. and you get like 3G internet. And right. it's yeah. spotty. It's very spotty, and and you don't get reliable internet connection. Right. Yeah. So it's really crappy internet. And I think I think all in all, a lot of people when they uh, go and visit, and they come back, they don't. They they don't have anything to look forward to as far as something uh, being prefixed with Islam, a Muslim country, an Islamic country, whatever. And they come back here, especially the youth, and they always think of the Muslim countries as a third world country. They're never going to think of it as anything else. They don't have anything to look forward to. No one has anything to look forward to. So naturally, they're not going to even think anything great of Muslims. See, you know? see yeah. after me traveling around bunch of places the only place i could say that would be like that would be like dubai and abu dhabi yeah right. like i could see myself living in dubai provided that i had i mean like if i can have the same corporate job that i have here there in the same pay sure i mean i think anybody i mean here's the thing the pro- People, the problem the problem is in dubai though that you're just one mad arab away from being getting kicked out of the country like if well somebody it depends gets upset- it depends it depends mm-hmm. like if you have your own um free zone company which you can establish yourself you can sponsor yourself you don't need anybody else to be there but then again that that means you're self-employed right that means right. you're doing business but if you work for somebody <clears throat> in general yeah in 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 dubai and if you're not doing labor jobs Meaning, like what you know, building and plumbing, and um, then you're generally not going to get kicked out of the country. They do, they they don't like that. They they know that that country depends on foreigners. Keep in mind, dude. Like I think, like ten percent of that local of the population is local. The rest of them are all expats. Is it ten percent? Yeah, like wow. in Dubai, specifically in Dubai, there's Filipinos, Chinese, Indians, Pakistanis, and like some other group, Russians too. The Bangladeshis. You forget Bangladeshis us, man. Too, yeah. But I think fish. Bengalis go or Bangladeshi they go more to uh, Saudi Arabia for some reason. I don't know what it is, but that's because we more about that Dean. 
<laughs> could be but the thing is you know um but in reality though but in in dubai though the thing is that people are not kind of because oh look you know they have nightclubs and they have bars and they have this yeah that's true they do have that but like in any western society if you're looking for good you can find yeah. good and if you're looking for bad you can find you, bad you know what i found out while i was in karachi that they actually have um you know alcohol that is available to people who is looking for it. And it's given um, kind of like a blind eye from the government. What happens is, is that people don't understand this, that when you outright ban these things, there's there ends up becoming uh, organized crime surrounding well, it, well, look, you know? Look, so so they happens. have to have like some kind of outlet where it's not in the public, but you go do your business in private and, you, you know, you can take care of your haram needs <laughs> in, yeah. in a private manner yeah. uh, and and at the same time preventing organized crime well let's look at what happened though i mean um if you don't allow these things i'm not saying that you should but it's the reality right they're going to be muslims who drink or people who drink in these places people who do whatever take drugs but if you don't and, and I, I hate to say this but there are certain places in pakistan certain cultures that even before Islam, they were heavy drinkers. And even during the Islamic period, when they came in, they continued to maintain that, that identity. That, hey, we are people who drink a lot, right? So it's not just Pakistan, but what happens is, if you ban these things, you end up with people like moonshining, which is far more dangerous. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Moonshining, like, you know, in the Arab world, they're called Arak, right? And people, like, even, you know, in Saudi Arabia, they have people called Sadiqi. What is moonshine? I hear about that, like, in the South, West Virginia. It's stuff. like brewing your own booze, dude. Like, it's like, Potent. How's it? Oh, just for potency points. One of you is dangerous. Hell. Yeah, yeah. It's dangerous, right? It's dangerous. So you can literally get alcohol poisoning from it. And plus, and it's it, it, it depends. There's no like regular regulatory process, so um, you people, can get people. You know, in the prohibition days, they were getting cholera from like moonshine because they weren't really the vessels, and there wasn't like really you know they were storing it in like jars and just covering it. And there was just no regulated process, right? So, so even in Saudi Arabia, you can go. People make this stuff arak in their bathtubs, and like they'll just find people and sell it to them, you know. But this kind of these kinds of things happen if you turn a complete blind eye to it so i see the position that same is coming from and that you know it's just like hey you know what man um yeah it's wrong but if you just cut it off completely these people are going to get into organized crime and they're going to make massive amounts of money you don't want to empower organized crime with that kind of money they yeah. can make from karachi is the last city you want organized crime in, or more organized crime yeah. Right now, you is this the first time in Pakistan? Yeah, yeah. That, I'm originally Indian. Yeah, yeah. you know. You what part of India? Hydro. What part of India are you from? Hyderabad. Well, but you're originally from. Yeah. But you're originally from the deserts of Medina, though, right? I was originally from the deserts of Medina. I was just happened to be born in Hyderabad, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I my my dad was uh, working in Medina, and uh, the the tunnels of. Medina, I don't know. Some people have may have seen them in their travels over there. No, oh, I, your dad I, was working. I, yeah, I, 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 I lived, I think, in the out, outskirts there. That's why I joke with the Sheikh Hamir here, and I tell him I'm from the deserts of Medina. Was it like a mobile I, I home? Went back that was to my, my people's from a trailer park in Medina. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. it like a mobile home? Uh, yeah, I think it was kind of like, like a, a mobile mo home. Actually, the proper yeah. term now is modular home. Yeah, mm. no longer mobile home. So, why were you in Pakistan? Uh, there was a, a family wedding was on it my lit? wife's side. How was it? Was it fun? It was awesome. Really? It was awesome. It was I very heard... liberal. Very liberal, um, but uh, enjoyable nonetheless. Dude, I heard you had like white singers there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I awesome. Do, like we, imported American chicks? No, no, no. They, you see, chicks. Pakistan actually has a, a thriving uh, music culture. Uh, I don't know if people listen to Coke Studio and whatnot, but they, they, they have uh, some great singers that, that came. No, but you know what's crazy? That even in Bollywood, a lot of these singers that come there, they come from Pakistan. They yeah. sing in Bollywood. And it's crazy if you think about it because there's such a rivalry between India and Pakistan, but that Bollywood industry is dominated by Muslim people. Like I mean, like even from Pakistan and just Northern people and like even actors and that. But it's a different subject. But Pakistan itself has like this, like he said, a thriving music industry. So, so I people we always hear stories about how unsafe Pakistan or Karachi can be. Uh, but I was I, terrified. I don't think I don't think you sense too much of that. There. No, 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 no. I was terrified. No, I talked about the cleanup that occurred. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, apparently the, uh, the Pakistan government sent in rangers and cleaned up some of the uh, crime, but it only reduced crime by like twenty, thirty. But you guys maybe. didn't have any close calls or sent. You, did you sense listen, any lack listen. of safety at all? There, you have to be vigilant. You don't walk around with your smartphone. You know. Uh, taking pictures you take uh a phone that you're willing to part with disposable phone a disposable like phone. a nokia yeah so yeah. uh that didn't stop me obviously because i'm an idiot but i, I end up taking my my phone but i just you know try to conceal it so and, you were living on the edge yeah you know really living on the looking uh, for an adventure huh? Rebel. on the opposite side of the edge the towards Kidnapping. the dummy side yeah yeah because you were saying you wanted the your relatives wouldn't really let you go out anywhere. Same uh, in Bangladesh, like unless you have somebody that a male escort almost. You, you know what? What I found out was that there's security is really cheap over there. So you can, if you're really that concerned about your security, you can get a couple armed men for uh, not a whole lot of money. So yeah, but I heard they sell you out quick too. <laughs> That's always a possibility too. So I mean, can someone else get paid like a buck more? <laughs> yeah, they could, they could, but uh, usually when you're dealing with the ex-army guys, I don't think you have that problem. Uh, Ex-military people who... Are, ISI guys? Yeah. Okay, so hey, uh, Mahin, you, you've been to Dhaka, right? Yeah, Dhaka is a freaking dump, bro. You've been there though? <laughs> yeah, I've been there a few Would times. Would you go back? I mean, I go back to see family, but like... If uh, living there, I mean, a better option would be stab myself in the eyes with, like, broken glass. Because I got a friend of mine. He's from uh, Boston. He goes to Dhaka. When he takes pictures out there, he, has to, he lives in a pretty nice area, like upscale. I mean, here's a smaller here, area. Dhaka's got some nice spots. It's it's up and coming, I heard. But the traffic is ridiculous. My cousin has a three-hour one-way commute. Three hours one way. That's insanity. It is. Wow. You know what I mean? Uh, I, was, I was over there for two weeks in... March and I was missing burgers and all my food here. You couldn't get that in Dhaka. Like you get really fake broke. It just wasn't an American burger. No, you can. Some it was like a chapli kebab and like some. <laughs> yeah, basically oh. something like that. The good thing they have some pretty good what's called mogla porata. It's like porata with like ground beef and eggs inside. That's pretty sweet. Other than that, you know, I got some old friends that moved there actually oh, really? to start businesses. They're doing well. They like it, but but they're fobs. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, why do you suck at the bad thing? Like, but they're fobs. I mean, you know. So are you? I heard you're not an American citizen. <laughs> <laughs> so you, wait, didn't you vote for Trump though? <laughs> I mean, I, I've always got this. 
<laughs> bias against like after I got married, right? My my wife would be like, "Hey, we're gonna go visit some like we got an invite somewhere. This auntie or this Bobby invited us, and I go up there and they're watching like Bollywood, speaking all Bangla and like smells like fish <laughs> up in there, right?" <laughs> And I tell her, like, listen, Sarah, you can't take any more invites from Fobs. Because I just go in there and I just want to, like, collect. I'm just collecting dust. And these, they're talking about, like, Awami League and the BNP and, like, Sheikh Hasina and all this stuff. I'm like, yo. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? I was like, this, like, you know, I'd rather watch. I'm better off just watching paint dry. Sure. Um, I want to tie back to Umrah, though, because you guys, Morton, Sheikh Amr, you guys have been, like, just. When was the last time you you guys went respectively? I think the last time I went was in 2006. So you went before Clock Tower. Yeah, yeah. Mine was in 2014. Okay. Like, you guys, you went when you were at Azhar? I I went when I was in Egypt once, and on my way to India, I went once. Okay, and then did you go through a group, or when you were... uh, You were living in Dubai, right? Yeah, so I have some family there, so I get to apply through visa without having to go through the Umrah visa. So I could just walk in any time, pretty cool. much. And then you kind of made your own package, Sim, right? Yeah, I went with. Yeah, we we made our own package through some travel agency. I don't know all the details behind it. Somebody was taking care of it in our family, and I just was like, "When do I get out of this airplane?" So come sure. and show up. Yeah, no, like for so you guys, a couple of you guys, you make your own package. That's how we people go to Omer. They either get a they either go through a group or they'll make kind of make their own package. You went through a group last time, Sheikh Omar Hakani's yeah. group, right? Yeah. How would you compare the two? Um, going with going with uh, someone who's dedicated uh, and as as knowledgeable as Sheikh Omar Hakani of uh, ICW, right? Islamic, yeah, Center, Islamic of Center of Wheaton. So um, going with him, it's a whole other experience. Um, especially when when you go with family, there's a lot of responsibilities attached. You're you're always you know trying to be the shepherd and make sure that your family's okay but um when, when you're going with a group with just a bunch of guys there is a lot more focus that you can put towards your worship and uh, uh a guy like Sheikh Omar Hakani who's always you know pushing you by example you know he's he's showing you what to do by by leading everyone to, uh, i mean the guy would wake up in the middle of the night and go right he loves there, he there, loves he loves that place yeah and his his knowledge of that place yeah. is just amazing and and that's that was recent the first time i went when me and him traveled to india together right we studied in india together we stopped by in saudi first he he was in syria so he met me in saudi he came from syria i came from the states and he told me i'll take you around just in light conversation when when I was talking on the phone. And when I went there, this is 2003, I was surprised how much knowledge he knew of everything there. He knew about all these historical things. He took me to all these cool places. The the only other person I know like that, um, and I'm sure you know a lot more because you're in those circles a lot more than me, but uh, I think when I met Sheikh Hasib Noor, yeah. he knew uh, that kind of knowledge. Yeah, he like, has gems. I haven't yeah, met anybody like I mean, him, like those, 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 the, the gem like material. Yeah, that he people has. who yeah. know like historical data. Like you're standing right by where Khadija's house is right now, and you'll be looking like a, you'll be looking at a marble floor, but yeah. that's where Khadija Rayan's house was. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and that that's what is uh, amazing. Just, What's crazy about that place is that. Anything could be like a historical yeah. place, especially when you go into Mecca and you start looking up and like some of the mountains areas around Mecca, yeah. directly near to, they have like homes that yeah. are like from 
pre-Ottoman era, like old, you know. One of our friends, um, you know, over there, they have they had a family house in Mecca, yeah, which is two kilometers from the Haram, and that house itself was like built in like a 1700s. Yeah, yeah. I went to Hazel. We had to climb up this mountain. They had this like uh, like uh, a metal rail. It was kind of rusty. You go up this thing, and then like it's in the middle of a mountain. There's a house built over there. Yeah. And I was like, subhanAllah, man, people still live in the mountains over there. They still live in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and when, you, when you're flying over Saudi Arabia, yeah. you just, you don't imagine, you can't imagine how many mountains there are. You're you're just like whoa! There's that many mountains in this country, and that it, that's something really shocking. And when you think about our desert country, that that it has that many mountains. It's beautiful. What's crazy is if you, I people you know travel into Mecca in different ways, but if you go, um, you know, if you actually go by car from Jeddah or from Medina, whatever you're doing, but if you go, for, if you're driving into Mecca, the city yeah. of Mecca, yeah. And you see the mountains, you get an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, like got to go in the daytime. Yeah, you go in the daytime, you just see these mountains. And you're like, man, like Rasulullah walked through these things. Like yes. the Sahabas wow. went through these yeah. things yep. to get to where they had to get to, you yeah. know. Or like Rasulullah would go to these climb. And, and you know, when you talk about going to the cave of Hira, it's no joke. It's not like, oh, I'm just gonna walk like. 10 15 minutes and get up there, yeah. yeah. And you don't, you, you talked about walking. Also, there's, um, if you think about when they went for the treaty of Hudaybiyah, you know, he sent out a group of individuals to go ahead of him to make sure that the that the path was clear. But because of the treaty, he wanted to show to them, he wanted to show them we're only going there for, for Hajj, and they didn't take any weapons with them, which was very it was, the Arabs never traveled in the desert without their weapons, right. And they went in their ihram after about six miles of getting out of Medina, heading towards Mecca. If you drive, how was it? Six hours? From Mecca to Medina? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's a uh, longer, about six yeah. to eight hours. Yeah. Six to eight hours. So imagine 1,400 to 1,500 people all in ihram, right? Simple clothing, no weapons, and they're marching on foot, a majority of them, right? And uh, in a very simple way, as if they've already began their hajj, right? Um, and... Going in that heat with all those people, but now imagine you're responsible for 1,400 people now, right? You know, and, and that 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 drive, uh, when I went a few times in the daytime, I was thinking, how do people walk through this? You know what's crazy? I, I'm so lazy that I will, I don't want to fly into Medina first. I want to make sure I get to Jeddah so I don't have to wear a haram in Medina and yeah. deem a haram all the way from Medina to Mecca. Yeah. I felt right? the same thing, actually. <laughs> you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. Okay? You know, I'm like, yo, let me start in Jeddah <laughs> because it's easy. I don't want to be sitting in my haram for like but you know, three hours. It's crazy. We're going to be chilling in AC too when we're yeah. driving. Yeah. You just yeah. can't do that for Hajj, though. Hajj, you got to fight in Medina. Because for yeah. Hajj, I went Medina first. But for Umrah, you know, we flew into, like, we did Chicago to Doha, changed the Ihram at Doha, and then it's not that much. And then as soon as you get to Mecca, you do Umrah, and it's you're like, out. It's like two hours, right? Right. Whereas in Medina, you're dealing with 10 hours, and the uh, bath at the, uh, I think I talked about another pod, there's a bathroom where, um, the, at the Miqat, yeah. going from Medina to Mecca, yeah. that's the worst bathroom I've seen in my life. Oh, yeah? It's yeah, dirty. It's, it's so great. It's like, dirty. it's in a masjid. The Western style ones are terrible. Yeah. You just don't. Even bother during Hajj season, especially with the kind of traffic. Well, they even got. one thing I realized in Egypt, even like the public bathrooms, the the Western style toilets are the most disgusting. You can't keep it clean. You can't. You can't. Is it so many people are sitting down those yeah. things. How do you keep yeah. that clean? Yeah, dude? yeah. You got to go to squat everybody. Down. And everybody has a different way of going to the bathroom. Yeah, some people stand in the seat. Some people are. Like, I mean, God knows. <laughs> some people, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want the, the the last thing I want to say is like we've all been. I think the listeners, uh, you know, I think anyone he, who's been to Umrah or Hajj would say. 
Go ahead and go. I mean, especially for Hudge this year. Well, it's especially because we're we're heading into summer months uh, yeah. for Hudge, so it's going to get harder and harder for the next few years. Uh, I think for the next ten years, I think something. It's, like, yeah. But if you got a green card, don't leave. Yeah, <laughs> that's a caveat. Yeah, don't leave. So I I think it it came to attention that some people might have been offended by some of the things we've been saying lately or taking a different position. A lot of people are still confused about what we do. The days of us, I can speak at least for us four here, of picking a side and having a line with one group and not choosing with the a other team. group, it's over. We're done with that. What we try to do is stick to the facts and what are important. And what's right. A lot of times, exactly, right is right. right and wrong is wrong. And yeah. a lot of times Muslims get moved by emotions. And moving by emotions is never good for you, right? Because we become over-emotional. We've done this with so many issues in the past. And that has caused us to look like hypocrites in the end, right? So at the end of the day, we don't side with anybody. What we do is we try to have a conversation and listen to everybody and anybody because we Muslims spend too much time talking and less time listening. Yeah. And, and we want to get to the bottom of the truth. The truth is what you want to build all your thoughts on. And it, when you have a solid foundation, you are able to build uh, the correct conclusions based on those thoughts. Imagine if you have false data in your brain, right? Imagine all the false conclusions you make off of the, that false data. Yeah. Now, we're, we're in a culture where, you know, half the time we're binge-watching Netflix episodes and whatnot, and we're collecting all this garbage data and stuff that's fake out of someone else's imagination, and we're making life decisions based on this false data. This is something that we've talked about in earlier episodes, that it's so important that the foundation of our thoughts are true. And this is something that's a central theme in Islam also, that the truth is what is the reason why Islam is the is the correct religion and that nothing else is accepted, you know? So uh, the truth is the reason why Iblis is going to hell is because he couldn't recognize the, the fact, the truth that Adam was better than him. That, that, that is what we're trying to get around is beyond this left, right, alt-right, um, neo-atheist. We wanted to get to the truth, the, the heart of the matter, build pure, uh, good conclusions based on this truth. And we were hoping that this, this journey of ours, that you're, you're a part of this. We don't care about all, all this other and noise that's We have that's no happening. affiliation with any group. All we're doing is creating a conversation so people can listen to different sides. Because at the end of the day, what I've learned, I'm not that old, but I've, I've spent enough time here now with these different groups and you know different articles and lectures and people and organizations. Anybody can present something to look appealing yeah. on any side no matter how good or how bad. So the point is that a lot of times we get you know, um, confused in the details and we lose the substance. Right. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to engage our community and our listeners and our ummah as a whole so that we can engage with each and every one of them and have a conversation and say, hey, well, what do you think and why do you think that? Yeah. Because a lot of times... We fight about, uh, you know, things that we are confused about, that we have a misconception about. And a lot of times we get mad at non-Muslims for not understanding our position because, oh, they don't talk to us. They don't know what we believe. We don't know, they don't know, they don't know what we actually really truly believe. 
But we do well, the same exact thing. Yeah, exactly. We do that to our very own brother. Yeah. We do it to our very own... We assume things. And this is a problem that we do, a phenomenon, not, not only with Muslims, with people in general. We're quick to use our point of view and automatically assume it's correct and we're biased to that. And we're trying to kill that bias and say, look, you're human, I'm human, I have my faults, you have your faults, but let me hear your point of view. Can you hear mine? Gotta leave emotion at the door. Right. You know, more, it reminds me, just Ryan, that reminded me, remember the podcast we did it with uh, Sheikh Joe Bradford right after the election, and I think you had made a comment about how a lot of white people were mobilized, and they felt that, you know, and you could see where they were coming from, because they were, you know, some white dude in Appalachia is disenfranchised, and one of my friends hit me, I was like, I can't believe Mortaza said that, you know, I can't believe he would go there. And I was like, well, it's that's the whole, like, set, like you have to toe some line. And I think that's why people, I think, came at us. Like, oh, you guys are all right because we – I wouldn't – Islam is an absolutist on free speech, right? We're not going to tolerate someone cocking BS about the companions or Rasulullah etc. But I think we do, like, have – we're definitely more pro-free – you know, we're not language policing each other, right? Or, you know, down with – like, if as long as you're upon the Quran and the Sunnah – and upon the proper understanding of the dean, we're not your political opinion shouldn't be. It's not what they call kati, like kati, right? Is that yeah, the term, yeah, yeah. right? The clear cut, oh, right? You know, um, I got the English. Yeah, it's, it's not a matter of aqaid. Yeah, right? I mean, these are things that we. I mean, if you look at what scholars talked about, I mean, look, I'm not gonna open it crazy, but I mean, it, scholars like Ibn Khaldun, like what they what they wrote about certain things, right? It's off the chart. Like I mean, yeah. about what they believe. The point is, these are opinions that are not they're not binding, yeah. right? Yeah, Ibn Hazm said you can look at a woman like naked for marriage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what I'm saying though. <laughs> no, I, I mean it's a real. Tr- no. it, it's a because like I, no, I, no, I use this as an I use that as an word. That's why I use that as an actual because there was a brother who was like trying like, to. Where do you find this now? <laughs> It, 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 it's a shot opinion like no like no, no one really uses it right but you know it's no I, I get what you're saying yeah. what I'm saying is that what this is showing is that Muslims can have opinions yeah. and I think part of the reason why we're not able to um uh, to relate to other communities because we don't put ourselves in their shoes. There's so many times that where we cry about certain and I'll give you an example I was talking about somebody today my brother today actually <laughs> you know what's funny Muslims are complaining about how Muslims are being treated in America. Granted, fair, we're American citizens, we should be treated better, sure. But how many Muslims stood up for the minorities in their countries when they were there? Exactly. Yeah. Right? And they don't want to talk, you'll find Muslims getting mad and say, no, Muslims have the first female president, we have, you know, first human rights and all, okay. You, you, you know what, that's an amazing point that you brought up i was talking to muhammad shirazi who was a previous guest of ours on uh, he's uh works with the relief organization founder, uh, of islamic found, oasis. founder of islamic oasis and he was telling me about some syrians that he was with in syria and um he he said that there those syrians were telling him like hey where where are the muslims and where are all these people that you know that that should be supporting us and 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 sending us aid and and uh, you know doing everything that they can to help us. And he asked them, "Well, where were you when the Palestinian cause was was happening? When Palestinians were getting killed left and right, where were you?" It's the same thing's happening to you, and it's going to be a domino effect where people are just seeing each other being eaten and torn apart by enemies of theirs right and no, no one is is coming to their defense 
until it comes to them. And uh, we, we've had scholars, uh, if, if you uh, have been in, in Dawa for the past 10 years, you, you've heard a lot of the stories that many of our scholars gave us this warning about not to um, allow the, the, the pack to get separated. Because uh, when you allow the wolves to sacrifice the black sheep in the community, well, then what happens? You, you've already gave up the black sheep. Now your herd is smaller. Yep, you open and now the doors. The, yeah, now you're open to attack more. Well, but, but more important than that, Rasulullah talked about it about this in his his farewell khutbah that the, the ahl dhimma are people you take care of. Yeah. It's amana from me to you. Yeah, amana. That word is strong. Means to trust. Rasulullah entrusted us with something that we act on his behalf and make sure they're safe. And the reality is that in most Muslim countries, the minorities have been mistreated. Yeah. And now it's coming back to bite us. Yeah. But when you tell Muslims this, they get offended. Yeah. They say, well, how can you do that? You know, we gave civil rights and we gave human rights and, you know, they make all these excuses. We need to man up and say, listen, the generations after the Prophet and the companions are not perfect. We made mistakes and we're paying for that now. Yeah. Right? Yes, there have been high points in, in, in Islamic history where we defended non-Muslims and we protected them and all those things, but there have been there are many low points right. in our history. Yeah. yeah. And so when a non-Muslim says, well, why should we care about you? You don't care about us. There's no response to that. Right. Yeah. Right? And so these kind of issues are what sometimes make Muslims uncomfortable. Yeah. And I have no problem talking about it because I'm over the issue of feeling uncomfortable. It's not even uncomfortable. You know what? Uh, no, no, you know, I'll tell you something. Forget your feelings. You're not important. You're not that important, dude. Yeah. Your feelings don't matter. Yeah. Because no, I, your feelings prevent you from seeing what's true in front of you. And that's the biggest problem. I think people, when they, when they talk about things that happened historically, hiccups that happened historically, um, and some of those hiccups led to some major you know, devastation, they think that it's an attack on their deen and that it's not supposed to change your belief in Allah. Humans are always going to be humans. Humans are going to mess up all the time. That doesn't equal your... It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your deen. That's not what that means. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The final messenger is the final messenger. None of that... You know, that, that's, that's solid. But if we make mistakes, we make mistakes and we have to admit it. You know, that's... That's yeah. a part of our belief and, and, too. And the thing is that, I mean... I think uh, that's why people are uncomfortable yeah, talking exa- about it. Yeah, they're uncomfortable. Like, for example, if they, if they talk about the Ottoman Empire, it, it shouldn't be a matter of religion for you. It's history. Yeah. History can... We have good and we have bad. Why does that offend you? Be rational and say, you know what? You're right. Maybe the Ottomans could have done this better. Maybe perhaps they could have done that better. That's not correcting your deen. That's not becoming liberal or modern or whatever they want to call you. No, that's being a Muslim, yeah. acknowledging that you made an error and then correcting yourself yeah. and saying, we're going to learn from that. And I think when some of these Muslims, like when they, when, when they hear us saying, you know what, I don't really side with this or I don't really side with that or let, let me double check what that is. That right. offends them. Why does that offend you? You know what's funny? Is that if you look at the news today, you'll find so depending on what side you're on, you're gonna hear that oh that news is bias, that news is fake, you know? Okay, fine. If that's the case, then why are you blaming me for double checking what I'm hearing? Yeah. Right. The Quran says to verify news from people who are from who are fasiqin, right? right? So why are you blaming me for wanting to double check and double check a source? Should I just believe anything anybody's telling me? Right. That's the a, Quran that, says, in kuntum Yeah. 
Present your evidence. Right. If you're truthful. Right? And so you're getting mad at me for not automatically accepting a position simply because the person's a minority or because he's a Muslim. Right. And you, as a Muslim, you have to say, look, this is right and this is wrong. And the greatest example of that is when Omar radiallahu an, when he tried to abolish or, or limit mahr, right. right? And the woman stood up in front of him yeah. and said, we will correct you by the sword. Yeah. And keep in mind, this is the Umar ibn al-Khattab. Today's time, be, oh, you shouldn't say that. You know, he's a great, he's a great figure. You know, he, 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 he's on your camp. You can't criticize him for doing that. You know, keep it hush. Don't talk about it. Yeah. It's not right. You know, yeah. we don't expose it. No. They said it openly because right is right. Yeah. And wrong is wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, the leftists would be like, oh, he was just another man. Yeah. You know, that's that whole train of thought. I do think that one thing I want to clarify, because I think a lot of people will listen to this show, especially the latter part of it. And again, and here's the problem. People read into what you talk about. So we're talking about we're not completely in agreement with some of the what maybe a mainstream Muslim organization might support of everything, you know, but we are everyone reads into something, right? A lot of people think I'm pro Trump because I'm not 100 percent down with this like leftist agenda. That Muslim community is pushing, right? I'm sure you've dealt with the same yeah. thing. Hopefully, that's what we just talked about. But at the same time, you know, people read this. People are gonna. This is gonna happen. I think people are gonna listen to this and read into it that we're not down. For example, with, uh, you know, we're not defending people like Linda Sarsour. And I want to mention her specifically because she was at the forefront of this big march, right? We didn't talk about the march, but I think people would read into that you're not defending her. Against the Islamophobes, and we're not saying that at all. I actually think that no, actually, to be honest, we have to defend her because that's like because we might have disagreement. Like, let's say we might have some disagreements with her, but that's like family, right? It's within the framework of family. When someone from the outside comes at your family, you got to defend. No, here's the thing: at the end of the day, just because I don't agree on every point that you make, doesn't mean I disagree with you as a person as a whole. Yeah. We can disagree. I can agree with you on a hundred points and disagree on two passionately. Does that make us? Does that mean that we don't like each other? No, no. no. I mean, look. I, I mean, we do. Why is it okay to do that with sports, but not with politics? Oh. Damn, I never right? thought of that. That's really cool. Why is that like, okay? The, what do you mean? Like, give me a give me an example. Like, for of example, sports. I like Michigan. You like Ohio. Ohio, the Ohio State. Whatever, dude. <laughs> okay, go on. Okay, you yeah. like them, but uh, you have a huge. You can talk all this crap about Michigan State. Yeah, Michigan. Whatever, dude. Scum. Michigan. Stop getting so technical. Okay. <laughs> all I'm saying is that that rivalry is is intense. Yeah. And we can still be friends. Right. But when it comes to something political, ah, oh, God forbid, yeah. I can never speak to that person again. Yeah. He's so arrogant. Oh God, he wants to support Trump. Oh, oh, he's so liberal. That guy. I mean, whatever. I mean, why jump to those conclusions? Yeah. When you can do in other areas in life. And people, the problem people, is that we have to realize that we can disagree on points and still maintain our brotherhood or sisterhood. I have nothing against Sister Linda. I don't even know what she did, to be honest. I don't really follow it that much or what people are angry about or no, what they're what, happy about. What happened but the thing was, is, well, I know we yeah, can tell me later, but right. what I'm saying is the point, the bulk is this. The bulk of the point is this. I will support her, in, and this is my opinion, by the way, not everyone else, but I will support her in what she says that is right, and I will, you know, be against her in what she says that is wrong. And that doesn't mean I dislike her as a person, or I actually... What do you mean by against? 
Well, not, I said dislike or be against the position. You know, it's just simple. You know, I, I think the position of a Muslim is, doesn't mean I have to badmouth her or slander her. No, it just means I'm a human being with a different position. Yeah. And we have different approaches. Yeah. Right, and, and I think one of the clarify is because what's happened is that Islamophobes, she even got on Milo's radar, I think. Yeah, so that, that that's basically what happened, that uh, my, Milo found a picture of hers and he... Holding up, up her on, freaking, yeah, her yeah, index finger. Yeah, which, she was holding up her index finger, and what? What? I think she made like a Muslim Brotherhood reference to yeah, her. He's an ISIS. He said yeah. ISIS. Yeah. That's a sign of ISIS is yeah. the index finger. Yeah. I was like, I've never heard of that in my life. No, I mean, well, look, you know Milo, Milo's a troll, yeah. and uh, and what the problem is that in our Muslim community, we're 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 giving way too much attention to trolls. You know, is that I mean, the left itself is giving way too much attention to Milo. Yeah, who are you and, people? Like, 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 are you important why, to me? All he does is put ridiculous memes and and commentary up there, and everyone is just falling just, into the trap. Yeah, I mean, you're just giving him more attention. So just by us talking about it, we gave him. Do you think it's just you a Muslim Milo, by the way? No, I'm not even gonna lie, dude. No, I didn't I thought, know who this no, guy Nabil was Aziz until was, you brought uh, it up. The Muslim Milo. Sorry, is is Nabil Aziz the the Muslim Milo or no? <laughs> <laughs> Nabil just got super happy if he's listening, yeah. which yeah. I know he does. No, what I'm saying is, I, to be honest, I had no idea. Who Except he's straight, works. though. They, you know, I, th- yeah. I think Milo's straight. I think I think the gay thing is just the front. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. He's pretty uh, provocative, man. You know, it, it just it just fits in this whole character thing. You know, if I want to build this like crazy character, no, but you know what? I, I'll be honest with you, dude. If I wanted to build a crazy character that wanted to say crazy things in the country, it would it would be a gay character. You know why? Nobody can say anything against gays. You can say against blacks. Anybody else but gays have more rights than anybody in this country. You say oof to the gay, <laughs> and it's over. I'm serious. I'm I'm being dead serious. They have more rights than Muslims, Arabs, women. I mean, what other group can walk around in a workplace and say, "Hey, I'm blah 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 and gay"? You can't. I can't do that anywhere else, dude. And get away with it. They can do crazy stuff and get away with it. They can wear almost nothing and dance around in public and get away with it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that in the city. Here, and the you, point no one... is, what we what we were talking about was that <laughs> we're not we're not about teams here. Okay, we're about getting to the matter, getting to heart of the matter, and, and having a discussion surrounding it, yeah. and then. Well, what we're going to do is um, draw some conclusions based off that. Sim, I actually want to ask you a question because you're like the hero, adult, my mentor, or whatever we call it, leader, right? I was looking for the right word there. That's- do we allow anybody here, like on the show? Like, are we open to having a discussion with anybody? Like, let's say I, I would say we're we're open to discussing with anyone who's serious, who who has, um, who who's put some thought into, um, what they believe in and. Um, in their initiative. They're, they're, they're taken seriously, you know, in our community. Like, I, I would say even uh, I, I would I would welcome a Shia person on, on this group, on this podcast. I think uh, I think it's about time that we had that kind of discussion with, with Shias and trying to figure out, well, what is the end game here? How uh, are we going to be at each other's throats till the end of time or are we going to uh, what 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 is the end game here? Because it seems like. Uh, the Syrian war has made some huge splits in our community. Yeah. And I think... Well, so well the, thing, the thing is this. What to do. Okay, here's the bottom line. And Sheikh Ahmed can probably tell you this with regards to that. Shias and Sunnis are never going to find a common ground. But what we can do is say, hey, look, in this country, in the Western world, it doesn't matter whether you're Shia, Sunni, whatever it is, I, 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 you know, whatever group you want to be, liberal, moderate, 
you're just another Muzzy to them yeah. at the end of the day. So they're going to look at you the same way they look at me. Exactly. So either we, at least we can say, look, back home, we have our problems. We don't get along. But right here, we better get along. Right. Where we're here right now. Yeah. Uh, the and only I, and people, I'm cool with The that. only people I, I'm not really cool with are, you know, the people who are working for Islamophobes, right? Um, the Majid Nawaz's. Nawaz, Asra Nomani. Um, who else? Um, what's that uh, Somali lady's name? No, she's not even Muslim, dude. I don't think she is. Oh, Ayan Hersiali. Um, yeah, Ayan Hersiali. Yeah, she's yeah, on. You know, you know what annoyed me? So, like, this, I, I'll get this on my chest, man. Like, I listened to uh, the, the Ruben report, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that guy. He's you a, know, so he, he's, he's all a about. Big time uh, Islamophobe. He's all about. Why, why would you listen to that podcast? I like Ben Shapiro. No, but I, I listen to a lot of all, all like um, conservative radio shows, like yeah. Michael. Sapp, I mean, I mean, it, yeah. you, well, the I question like is, you listen to it just because like you want to get a broad view of who I like who's out there, you know? Because yeah. you that's how you I that's how I like to get my information. I don't like to listen to like you know some commie on the left. So I mean, <laughs> look, it's it's not about just listening to the opposition, but yeah. listen to everyone, right? And, and in getting a a world view, it's one of the things I tell people who have all of a sudden Muslims have taken. RT news, the Russian television propaganda. Yeah. And they're, you know, taking Bashar Assad's side in the war in, in Syria. I'm like, hang on a second. You have to take every angle of the story. You just don't take what RT says and just because that's alternative news and you, it's somehow fitting into, uh, your whatever you want to hear and you, you're kind of putting yourself into an echo chamber. So you're, your natural inclination is to understand a certain type of commentary. So you're only going to be accepting that commentary. You have to hear every perspective. You take news from RT. You take news from um, Western journalists. Then you try to get the facts on the ground. And then you try to build some conclusions off of that, off of all that. And if you can't do that, then try to find people in your community that you trust, that you love, um, and ask them to to help you make sense of things. Otherwise, don't make you know don't make uh, conclusions, ridiculous conclusions. Like he he was forced to do this to to uh, to the Syrian people, leveling entire cities and mur- committing a genocide, basically mm-hmm. of Muslims. That 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 is unacceptable to me. That that's just it's on a level of intelligence that I just can't. I can't respect that. Right. And the, the last, what I wanted to close on the Ruben report, what I mentioned was, I like his, he talks about he's a free speech guy, right? But if you look at the Muslims he had on, like Muslims in quotes, Ayan Hirsi Ali, Sarah Haider, it's like, oh, we have atheist Muslim Sarah Haider on the show today. Or some dude named Tarek, some Iraqi refugee who's like an atheist. You know, it's all these like sellouts and like oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, you, there is a thriving ex-Muslim community out there. I mean, if you if you go on Reddit, you will see an entire subreddit yeah. called uh, ex-Muslim. Yeah, and, but it's not a conspiracy. People thought it was a conspiracy. You know, it's real. No, I have no problem. To, and to be honest, uh, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> but the point is, like, so I was actually telling, I was telling Nabil, like Majid's the most practicing Muslim. I think Majid actually might pray. Is the most practicing guy on Ruben's show. So Nabil actually tweeted Ruben to invite Dr. Jonathan Brown on, but he hadn't responded. So clearly he's not interested in like real, like actually hearing from. Look, no, the, before Nabil and all anyone had reached out to these people, 
yours truly, I had already had these conversations with them. These people, they're not interested in getting to the bottom of the truth. They're not interested in having a, a balanced discussion. Okay, you can listen to all the podcasts you want around, and there'll be some that make you laugh, and 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 you feel like you might have learned something after that. But these people, they're they're not into having a balanced discussion and getting to the heart of the matter because they they they're representing their team. They're pushing an agenda, of course. Yeah, and and they feel like there's other voices, um, other podcasts or other you know news outlets that are representing other themes, and they're like, why should I have to? give any attention to what they're saying, you know? So they're not in the business of giving a nuance, a complete... They're not fair. They're, they're not, they don't want to have a complete discussion. Agenda. Yeah, it's just their agenda, that's it. To wrap up, to sum it up, what would you say our, our, our mission, I guess our agenda, like, you know, that's our agenda. What's our agenda? Our, our agenda is getting to the bottom of truth, to learn, to grow, to have, to talk with people who um, might agree with us, might not agree with us. And we, we, we don't have any answers for, we we're we're trying to figure this mess out uh together with with you the listener so join us if you don't like us here's the finger and by finger i mean linda sarsour's index finger not the <laughs> other finger you dirty you dirty kids <laughs> all, right. all right on that note we will wrap it up for today uh please uh comment when we replace this so please comment a lot, a lot of talking points here that we can you know, engage our listeners in. A few, a few of you guys always engage with us, you know, and give us feedback, positive or negative, as far as whether you agree or not, and we appreciate that. We don't mind to disagree. Conversation is always good. That's healthy for us. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can email us at themadmumlukes at gmail.com. You can also like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and we are on Instagram, uh, but we need to, I think, I, I need to ramp up the post a little bit. Maybe we need to get the studio in there. So follow also by the same name, The Mad Mom Luke's. Subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We're also on Android apps such as Stitcher. So for my co-hosts, Sheikh Amr Saeed, Sim and Mort, this is Mahin signing off for The Mad Mom Luke's. Assalamu alaikum.